0: I invite you to join me in Peter's
1: first letter, 1 Peter, the third chapter is where we will be today, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. You're turning there and looking there in your devices, those old-fashioned folks like me who have a Mm -hmm. Bible in hand. It strikes me as we have worshipped today that someone here is outside of Jesus. I always know that to be true. And I say to you, my friend, some of this has puzzled you. Some of it you've probably not understood.
0: Okay. But there's a conviction that has come to your heart. And I encourage you, my friend, trust
1: in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not sure how to go about that. Anybody that was up here today would gladly talk to you. Somebody sitting around you. I know, I've made some of my Boulevardians nervous. Well, they talk to me and I don't know what to say. Then you come find one of us. You come find an elder, you come find somebody. But oh, my friend, do not let this day expire without knowing that you're in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter third chapter. So we continue this exposition beginning at verse 1. Likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. But this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of our God. Pray. And now, Father, by your Spirit, as you have promised, attend now the preaching of your word with that power that comes only by the Holy Spirit's work. Open our minds and hearts to receive this. But we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The wedding was beautiful. The couple, very much in love, had selected their vows with considerable care. I, as the officiant, had the best view of the whole thing. I always love that when you get to do the wedding. I'm right there. I get to see it all. But one thing I miss church where we had the wedding, previous church. They had a very strange stage set up. I just, It was odd because you had
0: the pulpit and then the door to the education building right here. The organ. And the piano. And then the choir was right here. We rarely ever had a choir, but
1: just choir area. So this is where the string quartet had set up. This young man that was getting married was a musician, extraordinarily gifted guitarist, and he had friends in, the, in music, so there was an all-female string quartet. And it was lovely, but apparently when the bride came to her vows, she absolutely scandalized a couple of the ladies in the quartet. She actually had promised in the presence of God and witnesses that she would follow her husband's leadership. Now, she had not promised to be some kind of a doormat for her man, but had merely repeated what the scriptures said. The congregation didn't blink an eye at what she had promised, but the guests in the quartet were apparently quite offended, and it showed. See, the very reading of this text is offensive to some. Some of you may have been offended. Or you might not have been offended, but you're at least suspicious. Your radar just came up. What's he going to say? Many today see this as backwards and oppressive and not realize that in the first century this was actually Revolutionary and countercultural. We who are living in the age of the latest versions of feminism, gender theory, self actualization, the cult of loving oneself to the exclusion of all others, and whatever other culturally accepted versions of absolute autonomy exist today, we're often afraid to hear and understand what the scriptures actually say. A couple of decades ago the Southern Baptist Convention adopted a revised version of the Baptist faith and message and did the unthinkable. They included an article on the family that basically reflected the very words of 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3,
0: 4, and Ephesians 5, 6. Our culture seems hell-bent on embracing extremes. Whether
1: the cranky, bullying, temperamental husband to whom the wife must cater, that was not uncommon as a cultural icon, or the domineering, sarcastic, belittling wife, or some of the other weird, strange messed up ways
0: that we try to do this thing we talk when you see just how messed up the
1: world's versions of relationships marriages child rearing etc are,
0: why would a sane Christian take their cue from such abysmal failures? Statistics tell us that the never married has risen
1: to a Higher number than ever before. 25 to 50, age 25 to 50, 35% never been married. Divorce rate in 21 was a little better than 40 years prior. Instead of 50%, it was 45. And that's still nearly half of all new marriages failed. And please understand, friend, I'm not here to kick you. I'm not trying. You've been through a divorce. That's not the point of what I'm saying. What I'm talking about here is that even Christians struggle in marriage relationships. Now, I I originally titled this um, Domestic Devotion. Here's my subtitle Marriage is Made a Little Lower Than Heaven. Now some of you don't understand the reference at all, that's why I didn't use it. it. Used to be people talk about a marriage made in heaven. I
0: don't hear that anymore. And the fact is, if, you've, if you're awake, you pretty well
1: figure out marriages were made somewhere a little south of that, right? Oh, I know, I'm, I'm messing with newlyweds and the engaged and I'm raining on your parade, it's all right. You will agree with me eventually. (laughs) I don't have to prove this. You will be the living embodiment of the proof. See, folks, we don't like it when marriage makes demands on us. And we think somehow that being Christian, this thing ought to work out virtually on autopilot.
0: And it doesn't. Your marriage, as much as any other relationship, if
1: you are married, reflects the reality of Christ. Now, this is really hard. There's two major points here, and they're, they're really hard to follow. So I'm going to give it to you in advance. Are you ready? A Christian wife's domestic life, a Christian husband's domestic life. That's real hard to follow, so I want to give it to you up front. It just follows the pattern of the text. So what does Peter address here? He starts with the wife, likewise wives. Now notice the likewise is pointing back. What does he point back to? Well, he said something to servants. And he's further talked about how we relate to authorities. And he says this, we are to behave in these ways. Look back at verse 15, this chapter 2, 15, this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He knew here in the early part of the reign of Nero that things were going to get uglier. Peter is a few years away from his own martyrdom. And he writes to these believers who are about to face persecution and suffering and talks to them about how to live in the face of suffering. And the first thing he says is, wives be subject, submissive to your own husbands. Same word that's used in chapter 1 verse 18, servants be subject to your masters uh, with all respect. It was a military word, it indicates coming under authority and the leadership of a superior officer. Now Let me point this out. We read from responsively Colossians today. Could have used the parallel text in Ephesians, same thing. And we have this text here in 1 Peter 3. There are some differences, though, between them. And part of the difference is context. Paul obviously is writing to Christians in a Christian context about how they are to behave toward one another. And he is more extensive in both what he says to the wife and to the husband. Peter, on the other hand, is writing to believers who may or may not be in a marriage relationship with another believer. How does that play out? Does that look different? Never forget that one of the controversies in the early church, and we see it in 1 Corinthians 7, was whether or not a believer had to stay married to an unbeliever. Was not the reality of light and darkness such a dramatic contrast that the believer could not stay married to an unbeliever? And what does Paul say? Stay. If it's up to you, stay.
0: Peter's giving similar kinds of instruction. There's no contradiction among these texts but you have to see that peter is addressing
1: this partly in terms of suffering now i
0: know marriage suffering we don't we don't put those things together and boy it is hard when those terms go together isn't it the situation in the roman
1: world was that it was expected a wife would follow her husband's lead. When a woman married, she adopted her husband's family, became part of that family. Further, she adopted her husband's gods as her gods. She would support his goals. She would never bring any disrepute on him. There were already warnings in Roman culture about the dangers of a wife not following her husband's lead. And to differ from that would be to violate the norms of the culture at that time. So what does, Peter, what does this tell us? Peter knows the culture. He knows a husband might find his wife's acceptance of this strange new religion as a threat to him, his standing, his household, What was going to be the outcome of this? There's actually accounts of men whose wives began to follow other gods like Isis or the Magna Mater cult that actually brought down their husband's social standing to such an extent that he could never be what he'd hoped to be in life.
0: So what does he say? Peter knows the culture. He calls the Christian wife
1: to a similar support of her husband as the culture expected, but he does it with far different motivation. It's no longer primarily about her husband and his wishes, it's about Christ and his salvation. She follows because she is Christ's. In fact he extends it to say the hope here and notice how he puts it, if some do not obey the word, there in the middle of verse 1, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now let me, everything's context, didn't it? I've heard those folks that want to quote from St. Francis of Assisi who said, uh, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Let me, let me just say quickly, that's stupid. That's just stupid. The gospel is good news. It's words. There's no gospel without words. Okay? But let's take it another step. There is a sense in which there are opportunities for us to not just say, but model. Model. And there are contexts where the modeling may give an entrance, if you will, to the Word. And the marriage relationship is one of them. Peter is saying to the wife, if you find yourself with a non-Christian husband, don't spend all of your time hitting him between the eyes with a gospel brick, as it were. Don't turn every conversation into your version of a high-pressure invitation and you're humming, just as I am. Rather, live in such a way that he notices he still has his wife. She still is concerned for you. She loves you. You matter to her. She will do this because of the gospel before the Lord showing this concern. Now let me clarify, and again, what this does not mean. Christian wife, whether you are married to a believer or an unbeliever, clearly the Scripture makes this certain. There is no difference between you and your husband when it comes to the matter of salvation. Galatians 3. There's neither slave nor free, nor nor male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. There's not a difference further in ability or value. Some look at this and say, well, it's obvious that the woman is inferior. That is absolute madness. Over and over again, we see this demonstrated that the wife is not only smarter than her husband, She may well have a better spiritual walk. She may be more mature. There's all sorts of things here that are informing us of this reality. This is not about value. It is about an impact. In AD 397, an aging saint in the Christian faith, a fellow that you know by the name of Augustine, wrote a book called Confessions, the Confessions of St. Augustine. And in there, he noted this tribute to his mother Monica on the influence she had in bringing her unbelieving husband to personal faith in Christ. Here's what he said of her. And remember, the confessions are written as him praying to the Lord. She served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you, that is, the Lord Speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. Doesn't take much to imagine Monica, Augustine's mother, hard-pressed for years in a difficult marriage, looking for strength to go on in quiet words and understated promises of 1 Peter 3. It does not mean there's an absolute authority in the husband. And I'm not sure how to get this through more clearly than just to be as blunt as I know how to be.
0: Husbands are not automatically right. I I further, and I see some stuff out there in Christians,
1: ostensibly Christian circles that treat women as the problem and men as the solution. And I've also seen it the other way around. There was a model of Christian marriage counseling some years ago that said if you just listen to the wife you'd fix all the marriage problems. Well I didn't have marriage counseling, to figure something out. That's just dumb. Because sometimes it's the wife that's the problem. And wives, I know, you, you'll admit that if you've got any conscience. Sometimes it's you, but the other side of that is I've seen it actually somehow that women are less. There is no absolute authority for the husband. If he pushes for you to abandon the faith, you cannot do that. You must not sin at his request. It doesn't mean you couldn't have a differing opinion or even advocate that opinion. It doesn't mean you must endure his infidelity, nor does it mean you must endure
0: physical, psychological abuse. It means that when all things have been
1: said, if there's a disagreement, that there's a willingness to follow his leadership as long as it is not sinful to do so. It may not be the best decision, in your opinion, but is seek to follow his lead. The way this is exhibited is an attitude. It's an attitude, it's an attire, and it's an admiration. It's exhibited an attitude. It's an evangelistic approach. Character first, word second. It's a message, if you will, for the wives of non-promise keepers. What do you do whenever he's not what he ought to be? It's done in purity, moral purity, out of reverence for God. It's done in the matter of attire. Now, Peter talks here about how to dress. Let's be careful how we run with this. It looked a little different in the first century than it does today. Now, one thing has stayed the same. Hairstyle was a big deal. It was really a big deal. In fact it was such a big deal that there's some tradition there, that, some evidence that women would show their status in the community by their hairstyle because they would wear on their head lots of valuable jewelry and this is the way they displayed their social status. In fact there was a little business on the side where you could rent expensive things to wear in your hair for special events.
0: So you looked like you were richer than you were. Hmm. Will not pursue that any further. Peter's
1: point here is not that it's wrong for a woman to wear makeup, not wrong for her to fix her hair, not wrong for her to wear nice clothing. The question is, what is the focus? And oh, my dear family, have we not seen enough today? to tell us we are communicating to women in general and our daughters especially, that how you look on the outside is everything. Our culture tries to say to the leaders, oh no, this is about a woman's value inwardly. Somebody tell the advertisers. Right? We deal with women who struggle with image and worth, who beat themselves to death in so many ways. Starvation,
0: surgery, all sorts of things. Christian women, hear this. This isn't a call for frumpiness.
1: It's a call for balance. And the balance is toward
0: character. Inwardly being transformed. The matter of admiration.
1: He talks about the holy women of the past, and then he particularly cites Sarah. Now, you know, you read the story of Abraham and Sarah. What a funny story, isn't it? Very human, very real. At least three times, Abraham did what Sarah told him. Right? She didn't submit to him, he submitted to her. At least three times, we see that. And one of the times, at least, that she calls him Lord is an intriguing one. It's in Genesis 18. It's when the angelic visitors come, and they're going to go down to see Sodom and Gomorrah. But before they go, they tell Abraham, outside the tent, Sarah's inside the tent, they're outside the tent, about this time next year, you're going to have a son through Sarah. And Sarah inside is laughing. Well, of course she's laughing. She's been on Social Security for 30 years. Right? The thought of buying diapers and formula on Social Security seemed a bit odd to her. And here's what she said. Shall I have this pleasure this late after I'm worn out and my Lord is old?
0: Shall I have this pleasure? It's a term of respect. And wives, let me
1: say this bluntly and plainly as I can, respect definitely a two-way street. But oh my soul, your husband will know if you don't respect him just as much as you recognize it the other way around. And it is devastating if that's not there. But you see the point of what Peter is saying here, if it's Christian marriage this shouldn't be that big a deal, one would hope. But further, here's the other thing and this is the vision I have of this. There's going to be an awful lot of fellows walk into glory and they're going to walk into glory because their wives modeled for them
0: the Christian faith and the Lord used them as the instrument of their salvation. Husbands. Now lest you get cocky All
1: right, six verses for the women, one for me.
0: Hmm. Indeed. But oh, what a one. Likewise, see the word again?
1: Just as the wife has an obligation, just as servants had an obligation, just as all believers have an obligation in socioeconomic structures here. Likewise, husband. Now, let me point something out. The very fact that Peter and Paul address the husband at all is staggering in that day. Husbands were viewed as absolute authorities in their own home. You didn't have to answer to anybody. But Peter speaks. In some cultures in that day a man could merely say to his wife three times I divorce you publicly and it was over. That's all it took. The context here again I believe is a believing husband with an unbelieving wife but it applies even to those whose spouses are believers. What's the husband's obligation? There's a Christian obligation here. First making a home together, that's the thrust of this. The home is made by both partners not one. And the exhortations here are straightforward. Live with your wives in an understanding way. considerate, Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now ladies, please, lest you come and prove to me you're not weak. Let's be clear what's being said here. All things being equal, and admittedly not all things are equal. All things being equal, the man is physically stronger than his wife. And that makes for a
0: a glorious thing if done right and a horrifying thing if done wrong. Peter here is on the positive declaring to you the danger of being physically abusive, the horror of that. Dwell with her in a considerate way. Let me expand that a bit showing honor, respect.
1: She bears the image of God. Of all things, she's agreed to be your wife,
0: live with you, of all men. I've, I've got to let you in on this. Today is our 29th wedding anniversary. I'm just...
1: I just asked Laura to keep the moans, the groans, and the eye rolling to a minimum today. That was all. How we treat one another, how we treat our wives is a demonstration of what the grace of God has either done in us or not. Let me ask you, my dear brother, this matter of dwelling with knowledge, of sympathy, of respect, does it fall to your wife to do everything household related?
0: I mean... Who supervises the kids? I've seen men who are absolutely useless when it came to children. and and, And brother, if I'm getting up in your face, I don't care. They're yours too. Far too often I see men who have very little to do with their children until they're old enough to
1: do something fun with the dad. And you know what that tells me? You're not a man, you're a kid.
0: You're waiting for playmates. That's not being a father. My friend, if you think these things are easy, it's apparent to me
1: you've never done them, and are at heart inconsiderate at least, possibly just downright lazy and immature and self-centered. Respect, graciousness, kindness. If she is a co-believer, and, and wouldn't that have been a powerful thing? for this husband who had this absolute sense of power in Roman culture who could have said to his wife, you will become a Christian too. Not to exercise that authority. To win her by his gracious life. If she is a co-believer, then she has received the same grace. She will receive the same inheritance. And the warning here, fellows, do you see that? If you don't do that, your prayers are going to be hindered. That is a fascinating statement to me. Here's one of the few places you're told in the text of Scripture that a particular behavior will mess up your devotional life. That if you do not treat your wife well if you're married, you are going to hinder your devotional life with the Lord. A man's failure to be faithful to God's express commands for caring of his wife
0: can result in the interruption of his devotional walk with God. How uh-huh. to pull all this into far more than i care to even remember
1: i have watched christian couples take these admonitions and turn them from something beautiful and gracious
0: into something ugly and horrid if you make your faus- spouse if you make your spouse feel like they don't matter You have sinned.
1: If you make your spouse insecure, you've sinned. If you manipulate your spouse, you've sinned. If you abuse the text of Scripture to get your way, you have sinned. If you think your needs define your relationship, You're headed
0: for trouble. Do you think all marriages should look the same? You're at best ignorant and at worst deceived. Marriages don't all look the same, folks. They just don't.
1: Somehow... We have in our culture, among evangelicals, we have somehow come to this idea that a a Christian marriage looks like a genteel, sanctified, baptized, southern belle with her noble, gentlemanly husband. And she's quiet and demure, and he's, you know, the one that does all the, you know what I've noticed? God puts all sorts of unusual people together. Sometimes the husband is not naturally a leader. He has to learn
0: how to lead. Sometimes the wife wants to.
1: <laughs> and they with justification say she'd be better at it. But has to learn how to adapt Be careful, my friend, that you don't create a vision of marriage that is more
0: middle-class American of early 20th century than it is biblical. If you think your spouse is responsible for your sin, you're deceived. Your sin is your problem. It impacts the other person, but it's you that's responsible. Listen to Dave Harvey from his book When Sinners Say I Do. How a husband and wife build their marriage
1: day by day and year by year is fundamentally shaped by their theology. It governs how you think, what you say, and how you act. Your theology grows your, governs excuse me your entire life and it determines how you live in your marriage. So let me conclude with some questions. And first let me stop and do something here. Let me talk to the singles here today who thought check out never married, or divorced, or widowed. Let me, let me just say some things to you. Singleness may be your calling in the kingdom. This is noble. It is not less than marriage. And church, we have not said
0: that well. And not consistently. Singleness is not less. Secondly, if you hope to marry... Let me give you a little encouragement.
1: Stop looking for the right person and start becoming the right person. Spend less time searching for Mr. Right or Miss Right and work on
0: making yourself that person. Be careful of dating anybody who doesn't already demonstrate these character traits? Finally, be patient. Trust in the Lord. Wives. You can test the quality of your walk with Christ by your attitude towards your
1: husband. Do you treat him with respect? Are you following his leadership? Are you caring for your own spiritual life? Are you, and hear this. Are you a gracious and forgiving spouse? Now, please hear what I said earlier.
0: There's a point where this becomes an
1: abusive situation, can. I'm not saying you have to stay in that. That's where you need to talk to people you trust. Specifically, mature Christians, what do I do? And oh, my brothers and sisters, hear what I'm about to say and hear this well. God have mercy on anybody that and under a Christian guise insists that a person stay in an abusive relationship while they're being abused. I don't believe the text calls us to that. You may choose to do that. Understand? I'm not saying they're in a place for suffering. There is. But I've heard far too more too many stories of women who've ended up dead
0: or seriously injured or children. Because a religious authority said, you've got to stay. Husbands, test the quality of your Christian life by the way you treat your wife.
1: You'd probably do well, fellas, and this goes both directions, husbands and wives. Ask your spouse,
0: ask your spouse how you could do better. Suck the air out of the room. What if they tell me something I don't want to hear? You asked. Do you treat her as an equal? Do you treat her with respect? How do you treat her publicly? Do
1: you listen to her concerns? And I hear it say this again. Are you gracious and forgiving? Christian couples... I've said this before, so say I now again. The words, I love you, are wonderful. But the words, I'm
0: wrong, I was wrong, are pretty close. Or, this is the harder one, you were right. Still three words, harder to say, isn't it? The words, please forgive me and save marriage. See, the Lord weaves His salvation and His work in every
1: part of our life. We don't get to hide things. We don't get to put this over here and say this is mine. He
0: speaks to all of it, doesn't He? And friend, I say this to encourage you in something, alright? As Marriage takes some work. And there are times that you get pretty angry at the
1: one to whom you vowed to spend your life. And there are times it can be discouraging when you see the same failure happen over and over again. But may I encourage you in something? Let me, let me help you some. The Apostle Paul says this at one point in his letters. Talked about the grace of God to me. Remember how he referred to himself?
0: The chief, the worst of sinners. Right? The worst of sinners.
1: Now, let me, let me point something out. I don't think Paul was trying to say that there had never been another person in the entirety of human history that had been a worse sinner than he was. He was talking about his understanding of himself. All that he had done, the gospel had come to him, and grace had come to him, the Lord had rescued him. And when, my friend, you and I get married, one of my hopes is in doing counseling with couples before they get married is this. You are marrying the worst of sinners. This is my personal testimony as I stand here. My wife married the worst of sinners. Okay? as long as you can keep in mind that your sin is often the problem. If you can learn to suspect yourself first instead of them, and if you can learn to deal with your own sin, it'll give you far more grace in them. See, when we're not talking about the level of abuse, the level of things that are horrid and dangerous and covenant-breaking, what happens is this, we get a little arrogant. Well, he did it again, she did it again. I know how much upsets
0: upsets me. And we just, we're growling, right? We don't think about our own. You don't have the power, nor should you, to force your wife submit to you nor do you wives have the power
1: to force your husband to love you and respect you the way the scripture demands it's not your job your job is to be what he called you to be and do that in this glorious hope to do this with this certainty the promise to the wives is if you you do this you're her children if you do good don't fear that is anything frightening, Sarah seen as a mother, if you will, to all those who live in faith. Husbands, your own life before the Lord will be greatly, marvelously improved by how you deal
0: with your wife. May we model what Christian marriage actually looks like. Not the made-up thing. The real deal, with all the warts, all the
1: scars, all the struggles, all the difficulties,
0: and show redemption in this most basic of human relationships. So may God grant it. Let's pray.